0: Welcome to the Raise with Jesus podcast. 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading from Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals on top of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Cut them off so that they fall on the heads of all the people. And those who survive I will kill with the sword. No one who flees from there will get away, and not a single fugitive from among them will escape. Even if they dig down to hell, from there my hand will seize them. And even if they ascend to heaven, from there I will bring them down. Even if they hide themselves on the top of Mount Carmel, from there I will search for them, and I will seize them. Even if they hide themselves from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it will bite them. Even if they go into captivity in the presence of their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it will kill them, and I will set my eye upon them for disaster and not for good. The Lord God of armies is the one who touches the earth so that it melts. All who dwell on it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile, and like the Nile of Egypt it sinks down again. He is the one who builds his upper chambers in heaven. He set the foundation for his vault upon the earth. He is the one who summons the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like Cushites to me, you children of Israel? declares the Lord. Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kir? Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But I will never completely destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Listen, I am giving a command, and among all the nations I will shake the house of Israel, as the contents of a sieve are shaken, and not even one pebble will fall out to the ground. By a sword all the sinners among my people will die, those who are saying, Disaster will not overtake us, it will not confront us. But in that day I will raise up the fallen shelter of David, I will repair the broken parts of its walls, and I will raise up its ruins, I will rebuild it, as in days of old, so that they will possess what remains of Edom. That is, all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who is doing this. Look, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will catch up with the reaper, and the one who tramples grapes will catch up with the one sowing seed. The mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills will wave with grain. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the desolate cities and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they will make their gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their soil, and they will never again be uprooted from the soil that I have given to them, says the Lord your God. This is the word of our God. The greatest hope and the greatest confidence of the unbeliever is that this world is all that there is and that there is nothing afterward. The greatest hope and confidence of the unbeliever is that when they die, then they disappear, they are no more, and there is nothing after that. And that greatest hope and that greatest confidence is toppled in view of what God says here, he is toppled in view of what God says here in, in the fact that he's going to chase down these people who have opposed him. He's going to chase down and no matter where they try to hide, he will find them. And what a terrifying thought. God says at the beginning of Amos chapter 9 here that he's going to be toppling the temples of the northern kingdom. I think that's the temple he's talking about here because he's been talking about um, primarily about the northern kingdom, talking about their their disregard for the Lord and the way that they have turned their backs on him. And God says, go ahead, gather there. And the image is of one where the people are gathering for worship. They're gathering in confidence in the false god that they have built. And God says, watch, I'm just going to start taking it apart little by little, and the people will be terrified as it falls on them. And they will run, and they will run everywhere. They'll go up high, they'll go down low, they'll go left, right, down in the bottom of the sea, and there will be no escape and what a terrifying thought, what a terrifying thought that their misplaced confidence is going to be revealed for what it is, and what a what a word from our god it's just it just kind of makes the hair stand up on the back of your head and then God kind of summarizes all that in verses 7 through uh, 7 through 10 after a brief description in verses 5 and 6 of who the true God is (laughs) that there's no place to hide Um, he touches the earth the earth melts, the dwellers mourn Uh, the earth rises and sinks like the Nile, the Lord is the one who built his upper chambers in heaven, set the foundation for his vault upon the earth he summons the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the earth, the Lord is his name, there in verse 6 probably an allusion to Noah's flood, um, or at least possibly, and that can certainly be in the back of your mind, because what we are seeing here is that God has power over all of creation. God has power over nature, and he's going to bring that power to bear, Um, as he has done in the past, as he has brought that power to bear on the unbelieving world during the time of Noah. um, So also during the time of Amos and the others here, um, God is going to bring his power to bear in judgment on the people. And that final judgment is pictured for us in verses seven through 10 basically saying, I am giving a command and I will shake the house of Israel and um, and by a sword all the people will die. Those who are saying disaster will not overtake us, it will not confront us. And there is the arrogance of the sinful flesh. There is the arrogance of unbelief that says, it will always go on like this. The earth is just going to keep on spinning for millions and millions of years until the sun burns out. Um, or that the greatest thing we have to worry about is the fact that the climate is changing. While the climate It's always changing. Um, Maybe there is some science to back up the, the global warming or the global cooling. But as far as the actual cause of that... We purposely forget, as as Peter says in First and Second Peter, that sinful people purposely forget that at a previous time God destroyed the world um, by water, and at a future time He will destroy the world by fire. So maybe our greatest concern is not exactly the local changes in our climate um, or the causation of that. Maybe our greatest concern actually is, where do we stand in relation to the God of Heaven? do we stand before him in humility or do we stand before him in arrogance saying i i will be here i'm going to shake my fist and you can you can do what you want do we stand before him like the arrogant israelites and say i'm going to be able to run away and i will be able to watch out for myself and that that is my biggest concern no quite to the contrary we recognize that the Lord is the one who is, yes, he will be our judge. And yes, the Lord is the one who at the end of Amos chapter 9, here at the end of the book of Amos, he has great and wonderful promises, yes, even for you and for me, that he is not going to utterly destroy the northern kingdom. Um, you You think of the New Testament that Paul, formerly known as Saul, is from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, one of those 10 tribes in the northern kingdom. Perhaps you think of, of Anna at the temple, that she was from the tribe of Asher, if I remember correctly, and that Asher was, again, one of those 10 northern tribes. And God says in verses 11 and following, in this very vivid image that he is going to restore the fallen shelter of David and repair its broken walls. Um, and And the the plowing and the harvesting is going to be so prosperous that that the harvester isn't going to finish before it's planting time again, because the harvest is going to be so bountiful, and that God is going to plant them in that soil so that they'll never be uprooted again. And the very vivid picture and the contrast between the unbelievers who scoff and run away from God, and the believers whom God will plant and take care of in his kingdom. It's a very vivid picture where he uses the the image of living in that land, that promised land of Israel, and he uses that. That image to describe his relationship with his people, that he is going to restore the fortune of his people Israel. He, they will rebuild the cities and dwell in them, plant their vineyards and eat the eat the fruit, and he will plant them on their soil, that they will never be uprooted again. And so we see the contrast between those who those who scoff and try to forget. The reality that awaits them, those who could not be bothered to discuss spiritual things or could not be bothered to bother heads in humility before the one who is the true God. And also the contrast, those who do trust in this true God. And we see above all, we see God's action toward those who oppose him as well as God's action toward those who had not rejected him. And so what do we learn from this? What do we learn from the entire book of Amos? Well, first of all, God sees. God sees the the poor and the needy who are trampled underfoot. God sees the injustice that um that even people of our world get upset when they see. Well, God sees it too. God knows that he has set a time for the day of judgment, but that day is not here yet. So let us be found putting our faith into action. Acting in love, um, in love toward God and toward neighbor, and acting in such a way that our faith is consistent, provides a consistent testimony in our confession of talk, that is what we say we believe, and our confession of walk, that is how do we live out our belief. There's a consistency in confession between what we believe and what we do. And what that looks like in your particular life, well, It probably touches on, and I think it's helpful to think of kind of the circles of vocation that we had talked about when we had our Bible reading on Ecclesiastes. Go back and listen to the episodes on Ecclesiastes 3, 4, and 5 for that concept. But basically, first of all, you know, we take care of ourselves we find some time to spend, you know, 10 minutes with our Lord. And then we take care of those that God has entrusted to us, Um, our family and maybe a spouse or close friends, parents, um, if they're still in your life, as well as those in our own congregation. And then together with them, together with them, we look to our neighbor, not necessarily the next door neighbor, but maybe they would be included in there. We look to our neighbor, who else that you have contact with. Who else is somebody that you could reach out to and encourage or assist? Um, who else is going hungry and could use a meal or could use just a little bit of a little bit of a break and needs a little bit of help? Bring that person before God in prayer Bring that person up to your pastor for perhaps some congregational work on their behalf, or just work together with your own close circle of friends and family, those who are closest to you, and say, dear friend, how can I help you? How can I be of assistance to you today? What can I do to encourage you and to make your life just a little bit easier for just a short period of time? Why? Because I have a God who loves me. I have a God who has promised that, that he is going to restore the fortunes of his people in a very vivid way. And the spiritual reality of that is even greater than I ever expected, that my Jesus has given me forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. And above all, I want you to know that. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. We'll begin our study of Galatians tomorrow. God bless your day.